coming to you from Strings and Things Studio in Ventura, California, and remotely in Fillmore, California. I'm Katie. Hi, <laughs> man. I'm Karen. And this is the Strings Unraveled Book Club. Um, if we sound different, we have to record via Zoom today again because I am stuck at home with Corona. So um, I got my throat coat tea here and I'm going to do my best not to cough, but um, I'm feeling pretty good and I am ready to talk about a book. Woo-hoo. I hate throat coat, but it really works. It works. It's it's so gross, but it works yeah. very well. I put okay, a lot exactly. of honey in it. So For those of us who like black licorice, we're kind of in love with it. Okay. Yeah. But I know I'm an oddity. Not not very many people in this world really, really like black licorice like I do. So there are other flavors of it too, though, which I have not explored very carefully. There's Uh, one that's grosser. Oh, great. (laughs) But then I think there's like a lavender flavor, like a more lavender hinted one, Mm -hmm. and um, some other flavors, but. Straight throat works. I've been trying to get James to drink it all week because he also has Corona. And I'm like, you'll like it, I promise, because he likes black licorice. So um, maybe I just have to like make him a cup and make him drink it because it does work so well. But yeah, yeah, I hate it. I did do at home um, medicine, the Starbucks medicine bombs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was my my go to during my Rona time. Yeah, I've just been drinking a lot of tea with lemon and honey. So anyway uh today's book we are talking about was my choice um we are talking about everyone knows your mother is a witch by Rivka Galchin um so the blurb on the back of the book cover says the story begins in 1618 in the German duchy of Württemberg um Plague is spreading, the Thirty Years' War has commenced, and fear and suspicion are in the air throughout the Holy Roman Empire. In the small town of Leonberg, Katerina Kepler is accused of being a witch. Katerina is an illiterate widow known by her neighbors for her herbal remedies and her successful children, including the eldest, Johannes, who is the imperial mathematician and renewed author, renowned author of The Laws of Planetary Motion. It's enough to make anyone jealous, and Katerina has done herself no favors by being out and about and in everyone's business. So when the deranged and insipid Ursula Reinbold accuses Katerina of offering her a bitter witchy drink that has made her ill, Katerina is in trouble facing the threat of financial ruin, torture, and even execution. Drawing on real historical documents and infused with the intensity of imagination, sly humor, and intellectual fire for which Rivka Galchin is known, Everyone Knows Your Mother is a Witch is a touchingly touchingly illuminates a society and a family undone by superstition, the state, and the moral convulsions of history. <clears throat> so it is a um, fictionalized account of the events of Katerina Kepler's life, who was a real person. Um, she was the mother mm-hmm. of the famous astrologer Johannes Kepler, who's known for discovering the three major laws of planetary motion and was a key figure in the 17th century scientific (laughs) revolution so i knew he was a real person i didn't realize that this was a true story basically i just just like oh yeah kepler that is a scientific name (laughs) yeah i was researching the book i did not make that connection yeah after i started it i started looking like i was like googling this book and i was like oh i've heard that name 
So yeah. going into it, I sort of knew, but I didn't realize until after I finished the book and I was doing more research before this morning that Katerina Kepler and this story of his mother is an actual true story. It's a fictionalized version of it, but. Well, I got wondering wow. when, um, is the little prince his, is not his work, right? The what? The, the little prince, the story of the boy who goes to the moon. No, 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 okay. that's a French, that's a, that's a French author. Okay. Cause I was like the book that the, the widow's selling at the end, mm -hmm. uh, sounded, the premise sounded like the little prince. I had wondered, because there were so many, like, specific references to moments, like fixed moments, that I was wondering if it was a true story, but I didn't take the time to look it up. So thank you for for finding that out. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to read um, a portion of the Wikipedia entry about Katarina Kepler um, to give us a little backstory. Um, so she was married to Heinrich Kepler and had one daughter and three sons. One of them was Johannes. Um, in 1615, a witch trial was initiated by Einhorn, um, who in his reign in the Protestant town of Leonberg accused 15 different women of sorcery and executed yeah, wow. and executed eight of them. Um, he acted in accordance with the will of the government and the public, which had asked for investi investigation of sorcery and issued an arrest of Katerina Kempler in 1615. Um, Ursula Reinbold was, um, had accused Katerina of giving her a potion after an argument that made her sick. Johannes Kepler defended his mother himself. Her son took her away to Linz in 1616, wherein she returned to Leonberg in 1620. She was arrested and imprisoned for 14 months. She was told how she'd be tortured and as a means of frightening her, but she refused to confess anything. And then a year later, she was uh, able, her son was able to affect her release. And then Katarina died the following year. Um, so the way it's laid out in the book is pretty much spot on for how it actually happened in real life, um, according to the um, resources that are available about this woman's story. So I thought that was pretty cool that it's yeah spot on with you know some embellishments right yeah so i have some questions here that i found from the folger shakespeare library online i don't know who they are but they had some excellent uh discussion questions so um first off what are your impressions of the book in general what'd you think of it well i wanted to re-listen to it because at first i sh i shared a message with you guys that i'm like this book is amazing because I really loved the tone of the book of the like, just very straight talking, um, very real, very relatable and mm -hmm. like suffer no fools of Katarina that she's like, this is dumb. How can anybody be this dumb? Look at how dumb these people are. Right. <laughs> and this, the very like great way that the author made this town from almost 500 years ago feel like you're part of it um I but then I was listening to it in such a broken up way that it felt like and I don't usually give this review this usually comes from someone else when it, nothing happened for like such a long time yeah the middle was a little trudging for me <laughs> I really I enjoyed it in the sense of the characterizations of the people was still like so good and I think that that was maybe also part of the point of it is like they 
I mean, they may have never physically tortured her. I think that that was the point is that she really never was truly um, tortured, just threatened. But the torture of how long from accusation to resolution. Right. Like, yep. and, the, and the way that that slowly tore her life apart. So that might have been part of the point of it is that this was a long journey of not, like horrible things over nothing. Right. It was in 2015. 20- or excuse me 2015 1615 that she was uh accused right and then she doesn't get released from prison until six years later so a year of that is spent um in prison but the previous five years are spent just gathering accusations and waiting for this trial and going through the trial and all that stuff so i will agree that it was slow um I think it had potential to be a really fun, not fun, but a really interesting story. And I think it is an interesting story, but I think that the way that it's told was detrimental to the novel, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy it. Um, I, I exactly. like Like I enjoyed it, but there was long parts of like, okay, and then what's going to happen? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was... Um, told in a series of like interviews and um sort of written i think this flows into the next question or one of the questions that i have here um it's written in a way that it's sort of uh interspersed with testimony and letters that are based on real historical documents um so this question is what did you think of this narrative device did you think it was effective or would you have preferred just like a straight up story or um, I think it was effective in personalizing it. So like by telling it in a first person voice, speaking to another person intimately, we become the intimate listener. Yeah. Yeah. Katerina is illiterate. So she's telling this all to her neighbor, Simone, to for him to write down for her so that she has an account of what's happening so it's told through both her perspective with sort of like author's notes from Simone and what he's thinking at the time interspersed with like uh like courtroom dictation of like these different interviews of people who have accused her of this or that or do they defend her or do they not defend her and like I said I think it was I think there were there was too much of that like I think that that would have been effective to include some of those interviews but like I felt like 50% of the book was like report from the courtroom which was not the most exciting part of the novel like you said hearing her account and her first person perspective of what's happening to her was the most entertaining part she's the best character I think in the most entertaining to listen to like yeah. her, her wry wryness and uh yeah. like she suffers no fools right and it's very satisfying to listen to the way that she thinks about all this and i just wish that there was more of that generally yep and of course the discomfort of people making things up to suit their own reality mm-hmm. and that reflecting our our current time <laughs> yeah um Let's see. So what characters were your favorite? Were there any with whom you identified or any you wish had gotten more attention? Um, I would have actually liked to hear a little bit from 
I think Anna with Simone's daughter. Mm -hmm. So Gauchin, the author, shows us a number of Katarina's relationships with Simone, her children, her cow, um, <laughs> and a variety. Camilla. Yeah, Camilla. Um, in my mind, it was Cowmilla. Like that was her name. <laughs> exactly. That's. I was hoping it was spelled that way because I had listened to the audio, but. Yeah, it's not. It's spelled like chamomile, like the tea. And I was like, no, her name is Cowmilla. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> um, who do you think Katerina would consider her closest ally? Ooh. I mean, obviously for a long time, it's Simone. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's probably her son. Um, yeah. Johannes or Hans or whatever. Um, I feel like with him though, I don't know if this was just the impression that I got, but it was more of a selfish reasoning behind yeah. why he was so invested in it. It's because he was a, an up and comer who wanted his name not to be tarnished and, you know, associated with this is sort of the feeling that I got from it. Yeah. But without his involvement, I don't think she would have been, you know, released or, you know, it wouldn't have ended the way that it did, I think. You know, I think Marosha was her best ally. Now, Johannes and Simone were effective in her um, defense, but Marosha was the only, like, real sincere companion in her life in this story. Yeah. That's her her young granddaughter. Yeah, that part was so sad. <laughs> She's she's definitely most bonded with Maroshal and and uh and is happiest, I think, when she is with her and telling us about her and and all that. And it seemed like at some point, I mean spoiler alert, you know, um Maroshal dies, right? Um and I feel like after that point she kind of gave up a little bit. Yeah, which was sad because she had so much fight in her throughout the majority of the novel, but at some point she's just like letting whatever happens happens and I, it's not that she isn't defending herself because she does when she goes to give her testimony but it's a little lackluster i think just because i feel like she has like the spark was gone yep <clears throat> it, it's interesting like that the time in human history where the idea that not all your children that it's just perfectly normal that not all your children will make it to adulthood uh-huh is and to be like able to function through that right like that's such a foreign idea because the death of one child would is, is such a crushing idea to me forget that you might have many children yeah that's why you have so many right yeah um and so like morosha is the first child figure that you really see her bonded with uh -huh. like of course she like she clearly is enamored of her adult children but she does mention like she she puts it when we meet heinrich i had four children who made it to adulthood well i i had a quick um interjection about that yeah okay so i went to a parent you know when you are expecting your first you go to the parenting classes and all that and they were saying there is a statistic for how many times a woman had to get pregnant at the turn of the night, you know, at the beginning of the 1900s to see three of her children live past 12. Yeah. No, to, to live to adulthood. 
in the early 1900s in America, a woman had to be pregnant 12 times to see three of her children get to um, adulthood because of the childhood diseases and various things. So I imagine at her age, how many times she had to, I mean, to have four children live to adulthood was pretty remarkable. Maybe something else that her neighbors would also be jealous of, even though there's the one that they don't talk about. Yeah. She has four adult uh, children to adulthood. Like Anne said, you don't know how many there were that didn't make it to adulthood because they don't mention it, but it might just be that she had four because a part of the story is that people are jealous of her successful children. So Uh other people may have also lost children in that time. We don't know if Katarina had more and lost them, but I could easily believe that she had four and raised four. One of them died in adulthood. Right. But Uh yeah, it's a, it's a point of contention between her and um, probably at least her biggest enemy, I think Ursula that she has children and Ursula doesn't have any. Um, So the other half of this question is who is her most serious nemesis in this book? I want to say Ursula, but I kind of think the guy who was in power. Yeah. Because I feel like it was all politics for him. Mm -hmm. He's willing to sacrifice her and do whatever. And he was like, he didn't really want to because he, because he was like, come on, let's make a deal that makes both of us look good. Yeah. And he's like, and she's like, no, I'm not a witch. I'm not, no, no. And the whole, like the beginning of the book is this all comes about because she, she wants to raise a, uh, a trial against him for slander right so he's saying that she's a witch and she's like i'm not a witch i don't want you to say that i'm a witch so i'm gonna bring a trial against you and you know it's 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 against you know the the main guy right and everybody's like Mm -hmm. "Mm, you probably shouldn't have done that because now he's like it's it's gonna make him look bad which means he's gonna go after you even harder right so yeah because now he has no choice yeah, but to I go think after it was was sort of a pawn for him, but yeah, yeah, it was. So, a, what about the other person that was kind of a worm that was with Ursula, who was kind brother? of a, yeah, yeah. He was. I kind of feel like after a while, Ursula kind of goes in the background. She was like you said, she was just the pawn. She she's not important to the story because, but I was actually even kind of amazed that women could bring a suit yeah i mean she had to have a legal guardian with her in order to go to the courtroom to do it but um yeah there's there were there's a whole chapter or section of the book that lays out exactly all of the things that um ursula's husband is like he writes to the to the uh duke like, here's all the reasons why you should imprison this woman, right? And there are 46 of them that he lists. So there's a lot of evidence that they have gathered in order to try and put her behind bars for some reason. Um, that was See, one I of would, the parts. The 46, would, the letter of the 46 reasons. Yeah. 
I would argue that there wasn't really so much. Most of that was not even evidence. It was like all the neighbors having an opportunity to voice their petty opinions and gossip of all the things over the years they didn't like about her. And they finally had to say, yes, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon because this is what I didn't like. And I always had to just keep it to myself. But if we're all complaining, here's my complaint. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a majority of them, I think, are proven throughout the book to not be true, but they're still holding on to them because they're, they're yeah. strength in numbers, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting who there seem to be so many nemeses of Katarina and all of them have their own reason for why they are the way that they are, I think. Um, so this next question says the historical moment of this novel saw communities wrestling with significant shifts in religion and science, as well as the turmoil of encroaching war. To what extent do you think this environment encouraged belief in and persecution of witchcraft? It's like the perfect storm of suspicion, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, they, um, it's definitely that opportunity to seize on like, I don't like this person. I never like this person. I am going to make something up about her. Yeah. Or I'm going to take this slight and turn it into the devil's work. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an interesting um, sort of balance that's happening at this point in time with like the scientific revolution of like what her son is writing about and uh and the balance between religion and science that is uh sort of teetering at this point in history and i was reading about kepler johannes kepler and how all of his um observations and writings and, and and everything that he's learning about planetary motion is all still with the lens like through the lens of religion right so everything still relates back to the christian church that's happening so it's not until later that they're like that those sort of separate out from each other and it's it's interesting because they keep especially at the end um like the final closing statements of whoever um keeps referring to her um what's her the um her son the uh astronomer son your astronomer son he says that like over and over and over and over which is like i think in order to see doubt that he is uh not of uh high regard yeah because sometimes he's an astrologer yeah and sometimes he's an astronomer which in modern times you want to there's a clear distinction between those two ideas and at, at this point in history in the 1600s that line is very blurry as to right? what is what so well, astronomy, astrology, those are yeah. yeah ask an astronomer today for a horoscope see what happens <laughs> there'll be some rye wit there i think how do how does her famous astronomer son live with no one paying him see now i actually like the middle of the book because it, I felt it fleshed out the characters a lot better and also showed how she affected the lives. Like she affected her friend Simone's daughter. Her whole life changed just because she told her to basically put some makeup on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, your life could be different if you would just like, like care for yourself a little bit more. Um, I mean, I felt like the book showed her impact, not just on the negative, but on the positive, like, she just 
a, a small a small thing one one time now now his daughter has suitors and all this other stuff but yeah. i kept thinking how does he go for his whole life with the promise that someone's going to actually pay him i mean that his poor wife trying i mean having to deal with how do they feed themselves how do they care for everybody when no he's waiting and then they're not they're, they don't ever pay him I think the economics of that is that money went further and that he was probably getting like big sums, like lump sums for the but things. But he kept talking here. about he was waiting and waiting and waiting and then he yeah. was angry because they said, nope, we're not paying you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. I he... the same thing. So I was kind of like trying to sort that out in my head that like a penny went a lot further than a penny does now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And then people had some self-sufficiencies. Like they had a cow. Right. Like because yeah. at, at Johannes's house they had a cow too. <laughs> uh they probably had some kind of home garden. Um, because something I thought was interesting is like Katarina is obviously well off by the you know, through the impressions of her neighbors, but she has to borrow the baker's oven. Yeah. So I don't like, think I think yeah. people didn't necessarily have ovens because the it was such an, you know, you might have a stovetop, but, but a dedicated oven was probably just, you wouldn't have use for it. Maybe. I don't know. Not in a way that you'd use it every day, but there was two bakers in town, right? Yeah. She asked to borrow the wrong baker's oven, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Well, didn't the other baker owe her money? Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, but yeah. that's where I go to. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah. you only let me use your oven. Yeah. Exactly. But maybe his oven's not as good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's exactly. He owes me. Why wouldn't I say, here's how you return the favor, right? And also, I had the impression that the the first, the baker whose oven she borrowed was closest, too. Yeah. Because that's the oh. one that Simone would get his bread at, too. <laughs> Right, because at the end he goes there and is like, "Oh no, he used the other one." Never mind. Yeah, but no, but at some point he does. I feel like Katarina is kind of a loud, kind of abrasive, unaware person, in a sense that I don't. While she observes everybody else, she doesn't observe her effect sometimes on other people, and They're this funny. is why so many people are annoyed with her because she is so loud and demanding. You must help me. You must help me. But then she doesn't necessarily return the favor because she forgets about that. <laughs> I think that's part of the some of the grievance that some of her neighbors had is she comes in like everything, you know, is life or death with her. I just I like the drama. <laughs> I thought this book had a lot of really good drama. Yeah, it was like I was reading a review that sort of equated it to like Jerry Springer courtroom drama but in <laughs> 1600s uh germany and i was like i like that <laughs> yeah that's it that's fair <clears throat> um what do you think drove ursula to accuse katarina do you think the matter would have been dropped if katarina hadn't been recording it um and what do you think of katarina's decision making during her experience do you think there are things that she should have done or not done i think um, ursula was put up yeah. to it by her brother you don't think Ursula had like a, like a, like they had like a adversarial relationship already 
Oh, they like, did, but if this is, the, I get the sense that this is the first time Ursula. I mean, yeah, because they did say they were friends at one point, uh-huh. and then over time, I mean, Ursula made some her own bad choices, and she blamed it on her friend because I don't know something else. I think something else was going on there, and that was the thing that set her off. But um, but I don't know it, that it would have gone as far if her brother hadn't gotten involved. Maybe. No, yeah, I think that's well, the 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 brother had was her guardian. Like there was no good feelings from the cabbage. Oh, <laughs> I, the cabbage. The <laughs> you think um, he knew that she called him that? Probably. Uh, I'm sure it was a common nickname. Like ev- I think everybody in town was calling him the cabbage behind his back. <laughs> I like Maybe. oh that's horrible. Um, because one thing, like I hear you on that, that uh, Ursula being a tool of the men around her, but you don't like. I don't want to uh, take away from just the oh, she the was mean between the women, you know, because yeah. that's yeah. real, right? Yeah, yeah, that's real. <laughs> Yeah, when when times are tough and push comes to shove, it's it's easy to throw your fellow comrade under the bus in order to save yourself in any sort of situation. So if if it's your fellow woman, your neighbor who, you know, in good times, it's easy to be like, yeah, we're buddies, but times are tough and I got to look out for me and mine. Well, they were good enough friends to drink wine together. Yeah. (laughs) At some point. I mean, you're not sitting at my house drinking wine and you're two of my best friends. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think of Katarina's decision making? So, again, do you think there are things that she should or shouldn't have done during the process of this? At some point, her she's staying with Johannes in Linz and he's like, you're not going home. You can't go home. And the very next chapter, she's like, I was so happy to be home. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't have gone home. I was thinking that would be the number one mistake. But yeah, I like that was her number one. Because I'm like, but then she, because staying out of Linz was out of, what's the hometown? Leonberg. Leonberg. It's not the only thing that was keeping her safe. Because when she goes to Greta's, she's in another place. And they carry her out naked. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that's true. I feel like being a widow for so long, she was so used to being independent and having her own mind. And she was not one who was ever going to tread lightly. Like you said, she wasn't going to suffer fools, but neither was she going to give her will to someone else. And if she wanted to do what she was going to do, she wasn't going to listen to reason. She, she really did not see the, the politics involved until it was too late. She really didn't believe that it was that big a deal or that it would just blow over and she'd be fine. Cause I don't know, maybe that was something that was just more in the men's world, that, that kind of level of politics and how much power someone had. But in her own small sphere, I feel like as a widow, she was used to having her own power. Yeah. She just could imagine a world where that was taken away. Um, that's such a willful choice to um, disregard. Because like her daughter-in-law is like, 
did you hear what happened to the last woman who was accused of being a witch? Let me tell you about what happened to her. <laughs> like, yeah. it's very woefully ignorant. <laughs> yeah. Which we're all guilty of, but from our own point of view, you like, see. don't we all want to ignore that the consequences yeah, what, are for us? That's just their choices. That wouldn't happen to me. Well, um, right. We shared the funniest thing because the huge lotto that was just up for grabs. Um, there was it, it, something something out in the internet. Someone says um, heart disease affects like one in five people, but everyone's like, "That's not going to be what happens to me." Winning the lottery is one in like two hundred thousand people, but it could be me. It could be. <laughs> you never know. We go through our lives so often of like, okay, so yeah, that's a common occurrence, but it's not going to happen to me. Yeah, that's not even my reality. Like, fifteen women in my village have been accused of witchcraft, but that's not me. That's not me. Yeah, you could see how an an outspoken woman who, you know, knows a lot about apothecary and 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 stuff like that could be a little suspicious. I also read something about like witchcraft in this time is associated with like like this is the view of a witch. And a lot of witches are seen to have like familiars. So is catch is her cow her familiar? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so she loves that cow. Oh, I love Camilla. Camilla. Um, just talking about finding out the cow's real name. That yeah. I'm like, she's gonna get so much trouble for this. <laughs> yeah, totally. I loved that. I was like, that's totally her familiar, a cow. Yes. Um, let's talk about Simone. So he wrestles with himself as to whether he could have done more to help her. Do you think he could have? I, don't I know. think he could have stood by her for longer. Yeah. But I don't know if that would have been any more effective than anything else. Yeah. At some point he does sort of step aside and like distance himself, which I can understand why you would do that. But he is guilty he feels guilty at the end that he sort of abandoned his friend, right? So I don't know if he was necessarily in a position to be able to help more in the sense he... of the trial, but I think he could have helped Katarina more in the sense of just being a friend. Yep. Yep. What are the dynamics of these two at this point in life? I mean, she is, I know she's older, a lot older. She's a single woman. He's a single guy. There's not really a romantic thing going on, but there's definitely. Well, I there's don't know. I, I'm surprised he he, st he sticks by her as a as a guardian. How does he? Do, why does he do that when well, he doesn't? There are some people who their word is their bond, right? So mm -hmm. he, he would. So of course he would. So there are some people who like just stand by their word <laughs> and they don't have um a different motivation i i think if he had a deeper motivation than his word then he would that would have been more durable uh-huh when things got harder in his personal life um i think that they're purely companions because there's a hint somewhere in there that he might be you know that he might be gay Mm -hmm. Remember when he's talking about his time in the monastery? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so it's just very, very lightly hinted. And so I, I really just think that they're dear companions, that they're, he's someone who's quiet and um, not withholding, but not easy to give his, his friendship. And she breaks through that barrier and becomes his companion. Like a wrecking ball. She just walked right <laughs> into his house. <laughs> But that's a that's a common like an opposites attract situation, right? Where you have the introvert with the the yeah. extrovert who brings them out at least privately. Yeah, I can see on his part, it would be very overwhelming to be drawn deeper into all of the legalities and even the the gossip of the neighbors and having that affect your life when you're just a quiet person who just wants to go about your business and you know, leave yourself to yourself and take care of your daughter. I, I, I can see that it could be overwhelming and that's why he might have needed to step back just to catch a breath. Because yeah. it's, it's way more than he, it got, I think his involvement was just sucked in more than he was originally prepared to do. Well, I think that he's a, a very good example of hyper-focus. Because there's some point, I don't remember what the exact gossip had come up. Oh, Maybe it's when he meets the traveler who tells him the story of Katarina's arrest. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's, I think that's when he's like, haven't you heard? And he's like, no, I was working on a stirrups order or something. <laughs> so like, he just loves to lock himself in his workshop and work hard. Um, and Katarina like gave him something different to pay attention to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So... Johannes Kepler is a well-known scientific figure, yet you could conceivably read this book without recognizing him in it. Why um, not? Yes, you could. <laughs> yes, you could. What do you think of the author's decision to distance him from the story the way that she did? It's excellent. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. don't you wonder about the lives of famous people's brothers and sisters and moms? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're just normal. And the fact that they have a famous child or sibling or whatever is just part of their periphery because you're the main character of your story right yeah and she was definitely main character worthy oh, without yeah. her son being in the story you know exactly. for as little as he did was her other son a lawyer he was a peterer i think didn't he become a lawyer what yeah. he came from yeah, yeah at the end um he absolutely did you're right yeah, I think he was probably inspired by all this that happened was like, you know what? I'm going to go into law. Well, um, you know, it's sort of like people who have a chronic illness, and I'm sure our families who go through massive legal battles too, is you become such an expert in that thing. You yeah. could probably go do that profession. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just said if you're knowledgeable about someone's chronic illness that you could become a doctor. I did say that. <laughs> We're not debating that. Um, <laughs> how does Katarina compare to other characters you've come across in books, movies, or TV who are also associated with, with, with witchcraft? Is there anything about her as a witch that surprised you or does the representation of a witch follow any other sort of characters or stories that you know of? Does she remind you of any other witches? This is actually perfectly done. I have to give props to the author on this because they show us the perception of a witch and then they show us her affinity for nature 
her apothecary mm-hmm. knowledge and mm-hmm. all of those like positive things that supposed witches have the magic to do. Yeah. Um, I think that is one of the most artful parts of this book is the, the mm-hmm. demonstration, just the subtlety that like, Katarina, you might be a witch. That might be real, but yeah. not the kind of hurtful black magic in league with the devil witch that your Being your cohort is uh, accusing you of. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's 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 interesting reading this in the lens of a <clears throat> in in this day and age, right, where people actually claim themselves to be witches in in more of a sort of religious spiritual sense than a you know, you could be a Wiccan and that's like a, a somewhat um, respected viewpoint, right? Yeah. So it's interesting that those same people, if they shared that same viewpoint in the 1600s and, you know, in Germany at this time frame would have been tried as a witch, right? Mm-hmm. That they're evil, that they, you know, that they are in conspiracy with the devil, right? It was interesting because I didn't really know a whole lot about the witch hunts in Europe in this time as much mm-hmm. as I knew about like Salem witch trials and the American colonists and stuff. So yeah. that was the part of the novel that I really liked is like, I didn't know the extent of all that, right? Uh-huh. Um, so I appreciated that. And that sort of leads into this last question that I have is like, think about the reasons that she was accused of being a witch. Um, how would the elements of her witch be viewed if they were practiced today? Like what sort of person would she be in today's day and age well i think as an outspoken woman she'd still be reviled yep yep an outspoken woman uh, in in because she was in an influential sphere so you'd have to imagine that she would have in this day and age she'd probably have a presence of her own Uh and so i still think that people around her men and women would revile her Men would be threatened by her for personal power and women would be jealous of her. Yep. Because you can't win for losing because women hate you as much as men hate you in that kind of situation. (laughs) Different reasons, I think. But uh, yeah, totally. I still think she'd be in trouble. Um, Yeah, a lot of people would be telling her to stay in her lane. Yeah. And she'd like, the whole road is my lane. (laughs) um but i think that she would be more positive in she would be lauded in other circumstances if people could see her talents and her care for others as as a knowledgeable you know think of the um think of the people you follow on social media if you follow any people like that like Mm -hmm. which bitch thrift is one of my favorites the um, black forager yeah the knowledge and the um things that they share about how they live their lives to me is admirable. And I love being able to observe their ideas and thoughts. So in some ways I think that she'd be um, well-received and have her own popularity. Yeah, definitely. I see her sort of like Insta famous. Yeah. (laughs) I see her as sort of like an older influential woman in her own like town like I imagine her in like Ojai owning an apothecary <laughs> shop yes <laughs> she would probably even run a spa a wellness spa yeah oh yeah 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 because she's a she's a savvy businesswoman too that's a good point Karen is that like she's running a business she lends yeah. money she has lands that are leased 
because I wonder too, that might be, that's part of what Johannes's um, success is or like ability to thrive is that there's some sort of family money there. Yeah. That's he true, was privileged because... enough to go to university and to different schooling and things like yeah. that. So, yeah. She definitely was in a, in a position of power. She wasn't a, uh, a lowly peasant woman, you know, she owned her own home. She had a large uh... from her father. And that's another motivator from the powers and the neighbors. Yeah, yeah. She owns a lot. And when she's imprisoned, they start picking off and grabbing as much of her stuff as they can get. Yeah. They take her land. Someone else, they sell off her land. It's like, there's that, this one person should not have this much power when we are struggling. How does she have so much? But you're right. She, I, I, I always, I focus so much on how, obsessed she was with the son who she had to get food for and who really wasn't as bad off but she felt that way and i didn't think about what she did for her other children as well did you catch the part where like heinrich just had children around and now her one of the siblings is caring for heinrich's children yes and that was sort of snuck in there well like oh i didn't realize that he also like she's got a lot of grandchildren yeah you rogue, you, Heinrich. Um, well, your seed where you may. <laughs> well, I mean, I like how you said, Karen, like, no one person deserves that to have that much. I mean, I certainly share in that. Like, we could all crush Elon Musk this week, right? Yeah. Let's all leave Twitter. <laughs> Not that I actively tweet, but we could all crush him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, eat the rich, but but, yeah. but it, it depends on the, the person that we're focusing on, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so sometimes I hold that in my heart too. <laughs> right. Uh, um, well, that is the end of my question. So do we have any other final th- thoughts, anything you want to touch on that we didn't cover? I want to go back to your question before of what, what witches does she remind me of? Yeah. Um, Practical Magic, the Alice Hoffman series, several novels, following the the women of that story uh-huh. and it goes into like the european witch um hunts mm-hmm. um in great depth in one of the novels actually uh you, if you have not read all the practical magic books i strongly recommend them they're now one of my absolute favorites like go back and reread kind of favorites i've only seen the movie i have not read any of them the books are flipping amazing. And yeah. I have no problem with the movies existing for how rich the book the books are. Because the movie is amazing. And I would love them. Because actually the next book after Practical Magic is far enough in the future that all the living women, I can't remember if all the older witches are alive. <laughs> I think so. Uh-huh. Um, that there could be a reprisal right now. And it would, and the, the um, Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock are the perfect age to be in the next story. Well, that would be I don't think that's slated. So, oh, well. <laughs> uh, well, I think that is it for our discussion of this book. So anybody else read anything good recently? I haven't read um, anything. <laughs> I read a book. <laughs> read what? I read a very good book. Yeah. So, um, so this book wasn't so spooky, but I think it was a great October choice, Katie. Uh, I augmented this with 
some actual horror reading, which I know you've been doing a lot of, Karen. <laughs> and I have to say, I haven't read like a lot of horror other than Stephen King, but it's a really good genre. It is. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm no good with visual horror. I don't want to see horror, scary movies, but I like a thriller in my head. Um, and speaking of scary things, it's it's not so much a book, but I've been listening to Camp Camp Monsters because I, I just Camp started Monsters. it. Okay. <laughs> I love Mothman. Yep. I haven't yeah, looked I was like Mothman one yet. Isn't that a more current one yeah i started i started current and going back okay it's like super creepy i love listening to yeah so i'm not gonna that's all i'm saying is i love um yeah katie they did one with titan oh hi have you listened to that one yes i have is it charman yeah, yeah, I had never heard of Charman first. Of oh, all. we've heard of. I know all about Charman. <laughs> I had not because you know I didn't grow up in in this in this county. Yeah. Um, but one of my coworkers, he spent thirty years in Ohio, and I was telling um, my youngest coworker about like you have to listen to this podcast because there's one in Ohio. It's so good. Uh, and he and the other one walks in. And he's like, "Oh, Charman," and he's laughing. <laughs> I'm like, "Well, do you have any good stories about that?" And he's like, "Oh, no." no we just know about him (laughs) um but the so now when i think about the narrator telling the stories of the localities he tells them in i mean if nothing else he looks closely at a map because when he's telling the ojai one he's like and the and joe was on the ojai avenue and then he turned on to montgomery and he turned on to sulfur springs i'm like chills because that's real that's a real path to get there yeah that's it's such a good podcast i i for whatever reason have been distracted enough that i haven't listened to the to this season this year um but i am excited to get back to i think it was last season that was like all bigfoot all the time yeah Ah! yeah um so i read horror store by grady hendrix which is set up like and it's the premise is it's a ikea knockoff and this store this particular store is haunted and What's it's the a title? story, whore, H-O-R-O-R-S-T-O-R. There's an umlaut over the uh, third O. <laughs> it, so the book is, it's worth buying the book instead of the audio. The audio book is probably plenty entertaining, but the book is set up like an Ikea catalog. Mm. <laughs> like I had it I sitting in the it. living room and Maribella's like, oh, look at that couch on the cover. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, Grady Hendrix. He's funny. Well, I hadn't realized I have an audiobook that was a free uh audible that's waiting for me, which is like we all sold our souls. So I'm very much listen- mm-hmm. looking forward to listening to that. Um I'm reading another guy who um the horse store was amazing. It was so fun and I couldn't put it down. It was I read it so quickly. Um there's another guy who has several books that are um, like sets of novelettes. Ronald Malfi. Hmm. And th- these are fantastic. Um, so I'm about halfway through the book Ghostwritten, which is for no- no- novellas, not novelettes. Um, and they're, they're very good. Um, they all, they're intertwined because there's like, one character from 
one will kind of have his story carry through to the next one. And mm -hmm. this set is all about kind of haunted books. Is um, very good. So I, I'm enjoying this genre. Yeah, I haven't read anything else this month. I did read Pumpkinheads. I picked it up um, when I went to the bookstore for their like birthday party celebration. Um, it, it was very cute. Yeah, very cute. I read it in like an hour. <laughs> yep, it's it's also hard to put down. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it 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 went very quickly, but it was very it was very cute. I liked it a lot. Well, I've been mostly in podcast land. Um, let me see. I just started a book that's a sequel to the city it's called the world we make um by nk jemison and i got to sit in yesterday um evening not yesterday evening thursday evening on a, a, a zoom with the author which was really Ooh, awesome that's cool um because i had bought the book there was like a like a private group of 50 people <laughs> that's pretty, that's um, pretty oh, cool yeah that's real cool uh, the Memory Librarian. Did I start that one before? Because that one's really good with Janelle Monet. Yeah, I think we talked about that one. Yeah, I'm still just continuing with. I have um, and I'm reading The Shadowed Sun, also by N.K. Jemison. But all of those I put to the side so I could jump into the world we make, which is the book two of a duology. Um, I think the city we became was the first one in the world we make is an expansion of the great cities duology. But um, other than that, I, I, like I said, I've been in podcast land. Yeah. I have two recently. I, I have a new podcast that I was like binging through. So I didn't listen to books this month as much, but um, so what are we going to read next? Whose turn is it? It's my turn. It's Anne's turn. Which All right. Uh, well, I had a, uh, this is my alternate plan. I'm saving the, what I had chosen for later. Okay. Uh, so this is called Small Angels by Lauren Owen. Mm -hmm. A wedding in a small English village attracts a malicious spirit, forcing deep secrets to the surface, a hypnotic tale of sisterhood, first love and hauntings. Um, Cause you know, I like, I, I want to stay spooky all year. Yeah. I'm okay with that. So this book feels also kind of cozy for the winter. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I'm going to leave us hanging on it. Uh, so that's Small Angels by Lauren Owen. Okay. Lauren that Owen. sounds cool. Awesome. I'm excited. This is like one of those books where I took a picture of it in the bookstore. Like, I got to read that. I got to remember it. Uh -huh. uh, and I wasn't sure I could wait for you. <laughs> well, thank you for waiting. But I, I did. did. Yay. Well, I did. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Oh, one last thing. I did pick up a book from a local author at Super Buzzy. Oh, is that yeah. the one you guys talked? Did you guys already talk about that one? No, I haven't been. I haven't dug into it yet. I'm looking forward to it. I don't have it in front of me, though. Do you remember the name of it, Katie? It's by Bryn Stevens. It's called Atrocious Immoralities, I think. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't and read it's it. Like a, it's like a historical um, sci-fi sci fiction, I think. Something like that. Anyway, I just wanted to put a little plug in for a local author. Yeah. You can buy the book online or you can get it locally at Super Buzzy. And then the author gets 100% of the proceeds. Yeah. So I just want yeah. to put a little plug in that for, for her. Cool. Okay. Well, 
Um, I think we have reached the end of our time here today. So if you read this book and you want to discuss it with us, shoot us an email or leave a comment or come see us and we could talk about it in person. Um, if not, um, maybe you'll join us for the next one. So next month we'll, we'll pick up with Anne's book. And in the meantime, we hope you have a great month and we'll see you later. Oh, wait. And the boutique, if you're in town, come to our boutique on the 19th. Oh yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and if you're not in town and you listen to us from afar, uh, you will be able to find our goods on our website, stringsandthingsstudio.com. And we offer local pickup and shipping. Yeah. And all yeah. the info on the event is on our website too. So uh, stringsandthingsstudio.com. Thank you, Anne, for remembering the plug. <laughs> hey, bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Strings Unraveled is a production of Strings and Things Studio with Anne Lecrevin Cazzoli, Katie Von Rader Fraker, and Karen Wilmoth. Recorded and edited by Katie Von Rader Fraker. Find us online at stringsandthingsstudio.com or on Facebook or Instagram at stringsandthingsstudio. You can email us at stringsandthingsinfo at gmail.com.